leader of this nation. Who knows? We shall see. That's not a threat. That's just a, an observation that maybe there's a prophetic meaning there that we uh, might see happen in some way. I don't know whether it applies in that way or not, but it's certainly possible that it could <coughs> because we're going to have civil war and ruler against ruler in this country and violence in the land, Jeremiah clearly says. So whether that is part of it or not, we shall probably very soon see. Also, of course, next, not this coming Sabbath, but the week after on the 30th, uh, the Day of Atonement also falls on the weekly Sabbath this year. Oh, horrors, say the Jews who make the calendar. Uh, whatever. <laughs> That's when the new moon uh, says it should come. This being, of course, New Moon Day. This is the first day of the seventh month, which is the day that the Feast of Trumpets falls. Now, last week in Ezekiel, and I debated whether going with a theme just of the uh, meaning of the Feast of Trumpets or not, or go on with the series we're doing in Ezekiel. And I think that there's a great deal of tie in here, so I'm going on with Ezekiel. Uh, it is so much an end time thing. Now, last week we saw uh, in chapter 8 the horrible abominations that are going on within this nation and why God, therefore, is very angry and is going to destroy it. Then in chapter uh, 9, uh, the story of the uh, six who came to destroy mankind, and one had a writer's inkhorn, and he was told to put a mark on all those whom God is going to protect here at the end. As I pointed out there, that is not speaking of the entire 144,000, some of them are already dead and in their graves, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others, Rahab. And those who lived in the early New Testament church are also dead and in their graves. And many who will be in the 144,000 in this era have also died and are in their graves. So they do not need protection. This is speaking of those who need protection now as destruction is about to come on this nation and the world. So they're the ones that need God's seal of protection upon them. And then those men went through and began to slay young and old, men and women and children. Uh, and that has happened already within the church on a spiritual level, almost total destruction of the church. And now it is beginning to break out in the nation as well. We've seen some pretty horrible things with hurricanes in the last couple, three weeks. And uh, now we see also the ring of fire becoming very active. That's a, a ring of volcanoes that go from New Zealand up through eastern Asia, around to Alaska, down our west coast, and down through South America. And there have been six major earthquakes, I think it's six now, in the last 36 hours on the ring of fire. None yet on our west coast from Alaska down. But in other parts of the Ring of Fire, uh, it's lit up. Who's next? Or are we come in there soon? I'm going to flip over from Ezekiel for a moment to Matthew 24.
Christ says, what are the signs of your coming in the end of this age, or this world? That's nearly 2,000 years ago now that that was asked and answered. He says, don't don't be deceived, it isn't yet. Verse 6, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. We have wars going on all over the world right now. We have rumors of more wars, North Korea against who all and whoever. And now our General Mattis, I think it was his name, said in a UN speech that we are going to destroy ISIS wherever they are, that we are going to take a very aggressive uh, approach militarily in the Middle East, and we're going to, this time, instead of just running them out of a city they might be in, we're going to surround them, we're going to kill them. Uh, Will this lead us in this great conflict to Iran, I wonder? And we'll break the horn of the Persians, and then our destruction is ensured when our horn will also be broken. So, wars and rumors of wars uh, are being talked about and are happening. Don't be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. So around the world, these things are going to begin to happen in earnest. And these are the beginning of sorrows. They're horrible. They're awful. Uh, They lead to a lot of death and misery. But it gets more personal. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. It'll go against uh, Christ, against His church, and against... I think Christianity as a whole, even though Christ isn't really much in Christianity, but anyone who claims or purports to follow Christ will be in the uh, scope to be annihilated. And that's what we see right now. All the Gentile nations and the Gentiles in the Israelite nations are in a great movement to destroy all white males and all white people. We are the enemy. And that has become very, very apparent. So, we're seeing all of these things happen, and we're seeing now a great war on Israelites. Uh, It's happening in Europe, where the Muslims have come in, and now they're almost raping, killing at will. Uh, Nobody there to stop them. The police don't care. If they holler, Allahu Akbar, then they get off. (laughs) You know, nobody's going to mess with them. So, and many will betray one another and hate one another. That'll happen within the church. I think that this little group here is a microcosm of the rest of the church, as I've stated in various contexts before. And we will see that here and are seeing that. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And iniquity will abound and the love of many will wax cold. But we have to endure to the end to be saved. And when we get to where all this has transpired, then the gospel will be preached around the world as a witness, which will happen uh, when the temple has been rebuilt, Jerusalem has been rebuilt, and the abomination is set up in the true temple of God, not some Jewish building over in the Middle East. Uh, The 1260 days of preaching the gospel around the world will begin that day as God's people flee to Zion. 
So there's a quick summary of what is ahead of us. I had some interesting thoughts this morning, I think God gave them. Uh, how many nation, I mean, how many states, nation states, do we have in America today? Fifty. Why not forty? Why not sixty? Why do we have fifty? Fifty, in biblical, biblical language, equals freedom and liberty, the year of Jubilee. Uh, we in America have had access to liberty... We have had access to freedom for the last 430 years since a permanent colony apparently was registered on United, what is now United States soil. But we are not going to receive liberty or freedom anymore. Now what we've done in this 430 years, instead of searching and seeking God and finding true liberty in His blessings, we have instead had our nation, even though there were some who first came here who were Sabbath keepers and feast keepers, they were quickly shouted down, and atheists were allowed to establish this country with a Gentile government. It's not a godly government. Democracy is not of God. Now, I, in their own words, they call themselves deists, and I gave you the definition of that last week, those who believe in the natural uh, world as God. But I could have made it stronger. In effect, they were atheists. If you're a deist and you don't believe God is there to intervene and you worship the natural world, you were an atheist. So George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Ben Franklin, and others, Thomas Paine and others, were atheists. This land was begun, our government organized, by atheists. So we, from the very beginning, despised God, turned from Him, and turned to Mother Gaia and Satan as the rulers of this nation. Now that's hard for me who grew up in this country, thinking I had life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to say but it's true. And everything in Washington and in our cities essentially is pagan and occult. So we had our chance at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness under God, and we blew it. Now, I think that there were 50 states formed as a type of liberty and freedom, but that is no longer going to happen. Instead, we're at the end of 430 years. We're probably at the end of 65 years, or almost to 65 years of Isaiah 7, when we will no longer be a nation before the 65-year uh, bell rings. Now, let's add to this a little bit. Puerto Rico almost became the 51st state. Came so very, very close to being the 51st state. Never happened, did it? Came close, but it never happened. Fifty was the amount I think God set. Puerto Rico was essentially destroyed this week. Utterly destroyed. They will not have power for probably six months. 
They do not have places to live. Even if they find some tin and put it over a part of their old house, the rain, the mold, the mildew, uh, all the things that happen when you don't have access to ways to prevent them are going to occur. On their own, without ships and planes bringing in food, there would be great famine and pestilence and death and murder on that island. And that may very well happen, because getting that much aid to that many, there are about 3.4 million, I think I read, people on the island. That's a lot of people to feed from outside and to try to keep alive with virtually no shelter. It's, it's been knocked back, I think you could almost say, even beyond horse and buggy. They don't have horses or buggies there. They had modern stuff that's no, no longer workable. If it isn't from outside help, there will be millions of people starved to death, perish there, and kill each other for what food there is. Now that is about to come to this nation. But it came to that one that would have been the 51st state, and I think the symbolism there is almost unmistakable. But God gave us 50. We had our opportunity at liberty and freedom. And we put ourselves under a Gentile government from the beginning. And our 430 years is up, just as it was up in Mitzrayim or Egypt. They were delivered from slavery at that point. We are going into a greater slavery. The yoke of wood or leather is going to be now a yoke of iron. And that's what we're told right here because of the abominations in this land. And I covered some of them last week. God is currently marking those He will save out of it, who He will stir to come and become a microcosm of the millennium and the world tomorrow. The time of renewal and restitution of Acts 3 is almost here. And the destruction of this nation is almost here, and I think that was symbolized by the utter destruction of Puerto Rico. We will not go into that which is symbolized by the Jubilee. Our next move is not to freedom. It is not to liberty. As some patriots would say, if we get rid of our present government, we'll restore things and everything will be hunky-dory. It's not going to happen. Instead, we're going into utter destruction. And only those who have the seal of God will be protected through it and be allowed to escape to Zion. So if we come to the end of chapter 9, where we stopped last week, it says, Behold, the man clothed with linen, which had the inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as you have commanded me. He went through and he marked. He selected those that God would save. And then destruction was to occur. Now, chapter 10 is very interesting. You may remember chapter 1 of Ezekiel gave a description of Christ's portable throne. Now, his throne is in heaven with his Father, and that is permanent until the beginning of the millennium, where it shows in Revelation 20 and 21 that they are both coming down with the 144,000 and establishing the city of God here on the earth and God's government. 
So in the meantime, if he comes here, it is a temporary thing or a small microcosm of what shall be. The church is small. He said in Isaiah 51, I believe it is, that he would restore things as they were in the Garden of Eden for a small group of his people. And he tells us here, and I'm going to turn there in Zechariah 2, uh, what else he is going to do prior to his return in glory. Now, Zechariah uh, begins in the middle of Haggai, which is the restoration of the temple book, uh, book with a severe warning not to uh, ignore the prophets. And we have been spending a great deal of time in the prophets, and God has revealed to us the meaning of what these prophets had to say. And the message is being essentially, almost completely, denied by the entire church and by even those who live among us who are going against what is said here. Now, he, he says, how long toward the end of chapter 1 until this stops? These three score and ten years of trouble and destruction. Now, they were speaking in that time of the 70 years destruction on, uh, during the Babylonian captivity. But you'll remember I went through a chart here not too long ago showing the tie-ins between Christ and Herbert Armstrong, that if Christ declared liberty, the acceptable year of the Lord there in Luke, in 27 A.D., uh, his preparation for his ministry, and then that proclamation occurred in 26 and 27. So, 26 would be the 49th year, uh, 7 times 7, and then 27 would have been the Jubilee. All right, you fast forward and Herbert Armstrong proclaimed that this is the only time you've heard the real truth preached in 1,900 years. God called him exactly 1,900 years after the 49th and the 50th year during Christ's ministry, or his life. Uh, God opened it up again, 1,900 years later. Now, I believe a day being as a thousand years, that a hundred years from then will also be 1926, or, I mean 2026 and 2027. 26 would be the year probably Christ returns and then re, uh, goes on his honeymoon for a year and then declares the Jubilee, the millennium, in 27. Now that doesn't leave us long between now and then. You've got to have three and a half years of the tribulation. You've got to have a year and a half nearly to build Jerusalem, and before that, build a temple, and before that, the gathering in order to even build a temple. And we've only got about nine years for all that to occur, because the 26, 2026 would be the year uh, after the first resurrection of the honeymoon, 27 being the uh, beginning of the millennium. Those numbers fit precisely with what has happened here in the end time. Now, he talks about the 70 years here. I think I know where that goes now. If you'll remember that chart also, it showed that all the important events that occurred in Herbert Armstrong's ministry from his calling on 
Everything that has been an important event with this little congregation has occurred 70 years after the, a commensurate occurrence in Herbert Armstrong's ministry. I think I had four, five, or six of those. One was missing, and I don't remember where I, whether I ever recounted that because it occurred to me within 24 hours after I gave that. And that was when the uh, gospel began to be preached to Europe and the world in uh, 1934. Uh, excuse me. 53. And there was nothing like that that happened 70 years later with us. That should be so simple. That's just another duh. We weren't scheduled to preach the gospel. That's the only major event that occurred with his ministry that the same, a similar occurrence did not occur with us. From the beginning of the understanding of these prophecies in 1996, which was 70 years after he began to understand the truth of God in 1926. And on and on it goes. I won't go through the whole list here for sake of time, but you've got the chart. All right. At least I read off of it to you. But the gospel isn't going to be preached until after the abomination is set up. So there was nothing equivocal there 70 years after he began to preach the gospel to the world. We weren't to do that. In fact, he even tells the two witnesses in Revelation 12, don't do that. Go to the altar and then worship therein. That's the church. Corresponds with Zechariah 4. And leave out the court of the Gentiles. Don't go to them. So the message is first to the church, later to the world, after the abomination is set up. So the reason that exception is there in those 70-year events is because that one wasn't to happen. (laughs) Pure and simple. (coughs) All right. Uh, Here in Zechariah 2... Uh, it's, we're going to see the same things here in Ezekiel momentarily. But the 70 years is here, and God says He's been a little displeased, and there will be those who bring forward the affliction. And He will return to Jerusalem in mercy and build it there in verse 16. But then He says, in spite of everything, uh, God is going to bless, and He will yet comfort Zion and, and yet choose Jerusalem into verse 17. But then in 18 through 21, there's a problem. Four destroyers appeared, and then four carpenters. And he says, what does this mean? And he says, well, the four builders will fray and cast out four who are seeking to destroy whatever is happening here just prior to chapter 2. This is a now event. This is in the context of Haggai and Zechariah, which is the context of the two witnesses and the end-time church. So these are events leading up to that, if you will. So something has to occur here that gets rid of some who are trying to destroy. Okay? Then he lifts his eyes and beholds a measuring line in the hand of someone. Now we read about that also in Amos 8, I mean 7 where he says, Who will help Jacob, for he is small? Who will help Jacob, for he is small? And God says, I'm going to set up a plumb line, and we'll see who lives up to snuff and who doesn't. Essentially, the same thing, uh, 
there in Ezekiel. Go through and mark those who are straight up and kill those who are not. It's the same story. Everywhere you go, it's the same story. So here, a plumb line is also stretched. And then he says to a young man, Run and say to Jerusalem, You shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So he says he's going to establish Jerusalem, first of all, not as a major city, but as a series of villages with much men and cattle there. Isaiah 15, 16, talk about how the Ammonites and, and uh, Moabites and so on will have great storage laid up, and at the Brook of the Willows, <coughs> God's people will begin to come, and they will have that which is laid up for their use. Well, where's the original promised land? Southern Utah. Who's there? Ammonites, Moabites, Edomites, maybe some Israelites called Mormons, and they have three years of storage laid up, or supposed to, each family. And they're going to be removed, and God's people will have all of that for their use. So this is talking about now. It's talking about what's happening. And God said, I will be to her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. And then he says, flee from the land of the north, Babylon, that is this nation today, the leader of Babylon, as he tells us in Micah 4, and go to the wilderness, and there will be protected, because he spread the church abroad. He's going to regather it. And he says in verse 7, deliver yourself, Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Get out of the midst of Babylon, Micah 4. Go dwell in the uh, wilderness, and there I will deliver you. And he showed us where Zion and Jerusalem are, so we'd know where to go. It has a wilderness around it. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, After the glory uh, he sent me to the nations which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. So those whom God begins to call at the end, he describes as special to him. The first fruits, apple of the eye. For behold, I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that I, the Eternal of hosts, has sent me. What does Ezekiel say over and over? You shall know that I am the Eternal. He says it again in Isaiah 44 and 45, where he says, Osiris will uncover the precious things and hidden things of God <coughs> for the sake of Jacob, his people, which is very, very small now. Again, Amos, not very big, but will be given children for those whom she has lost, Isaiah 54. So he says in verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. And many peoples will be joined to the Eternal in that day, and be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you, and you shall know that the Eternal of hosts has sent me to you. And the Eternal shall inherit Judah, his portion, his ten percent, his tithe, in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again as in the past, and now it's been destroyed. It's desolate for many generations, as the Scriptures tell us, but it'll be restored again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Eternal, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. Now what He's saying here is the same thing Ezekiel 
recounts. The God is preparing to stir people to come and build His temple. He will protect them. He will be a wall of fire around them, which means defense. He will protect them. But He will be here Himself. Now, how does Ezekiel start his book? Chapter 1. He gives a very glowing description of the power and the glory of the chariot of Christ that goes where he wants it to go and is comprised of angels and various other elements of it there that are kind of hard to picture exactly how it is with heads and eyes and wings and so on. So, it is of the end time. Something like Ezekiel 1 has not happened yet, has it? Yet we see that Christ is going to come and dwell with us. Now, is he going to make himself known in a chariot of fire? In a fire of defense? Looks like it to me. Now, he returns to that when he, when he says here, all the abominations in the church and the nation, and then how those who are going to be protected through what is about to happen are sealed, pointed out by God, and then the destruction comes. So once that is done, verse 11 of chapter 9, we have a recount, again, of Christ's chariot. So let's go through that and then see what follows, because it's very interesting what follows this. Then I looked, and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone, as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. So is this a portable throne? carried about by the cherubims? Looks like. He spoke to the man clothed with linen, that's the one that had the inkhorn, and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, and fill your hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims, and scatter them over the city. And he went in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right side of the house when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. So this is speaking of the temple of God and fire from between the cherubim, from Christ himself, is put within the temple. And a cloud filled the inner court. We've got to build a temple, don't we? This has got to happen. It's got to be God's temple, not some Jewish edifice. Then the glory of the Eternal went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house... And the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Eternal's glory. Now this is even as the destruction is about to come. So this isn't millennial. This, this is before that. People have just now been marked, and the destruction is about to occur when this happens. Now that's the same story in Zechariah 2. Christ will come, be a defense of fire, Jerusalem will be built as towns, and people will be gathered, according to Haggai, to come and build the temple. So this is an end-time story, and Christ is going to come and fill that temple with His glory, even as He did the Ark, I mean the, uh, yeah, the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. So the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court, as the voice of the Almighty God when He speaks. Now, what is this leading up to in a very short while now? Christ's return in ultimate glory and the resurrection of the dead, pictured by the Feast of Trumpets, where we sit today. It isn't very far off. 
probably 2026. I'm not trying to say the day or the hour. I'm just counting the, the years that Christ laid out. And 2,000 years would be 2026 from the jubilee that Christ announced in Luke. 2,000 years exactly. God is precise. So this, the resurrection of the dead that we read about and listen to on the Messiah recording uh, is probably only within nine years away. Not very long. So this is a microcosm of that. This is Christ appearing with His chariot, not in full glory, but in partial. Now Christ has returned, I've gone through that, quite a few times since He ascended to His Father in heaven after His resurrection. He came back, couldn't be touched because He hadn't been glorified, so He had to go back again and be glorified. Then He appeared to the apostles again, uh, and then he appeared and taught Paul for three years in the desert. So he's been back several times, and there may be another one or two or three I'm missing there. <clears throat> and then again, here at the end, he is going to come. See, that 10% remnant of the church is a microcosm of the 10% of Israel that will return for the millennium. And the things that God does for that will be a witness to the world of what He is going to do as opposed to what the beast and false prophet will be telling the world that they are going to do. Satan's false, false message will be contradicted by the two witnesses and the 10% remnant who are protected and provided for like the Garden of Eden during these few years remaining until Christ comes in glory and then does establish His kingdom. He is telling them ahead of time what is going to be. Now Satan does that already, doesn't he? He has movies and things that come out right now and have been for years which show what the global New World Order and Satan are planning to do. The destruction, the annihilation of over 90% of the population of the earth. And all of this is depicted in movies. They tell you ahead of time what they intend to do because they're proud. And they want to brag ahead of time about what they're going to do. And then they can point back later and say, told you so. Told you this was going to happen. We rule now. Don't you see why God's people in Zion set on a hill that cannot be hid as a light to the world, and the two that go out and preach to the world are going to be hated so much because they absolutely fly in the face of everything that Satan is trying to do. And brother, when he is turned loose and cast down there in Revelation 12, he will come after the church first, especially those at Jerusalem and the temple where Christ has been dwelling with His people. And they will take it over, and those who are there will have to flee to Zion, which is a short distance away, to be protected through the tribulation. And then, the two witnesses will preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and in the end will come. And they will hate it and fight them to the very end, and then kill them, and they will breathe a collective sigh of relief and send out texts and Twitters and uh, television leads all over the world to tell everybody 
that we won. We won. Now we will rule the world. Those guys aren't going to pester us anymore. <coughs> and they'll party and rejoice. And three, year, three days later, oh my, Christ will return in glory. They'll think they won. There's some around here that think they just won. We'll see. Now, let's get back to Ezekiel 10. Because Christ is going, I believe, to present Himself in limited glory. I think Ezekiel's telling us that in chapter 1 and in chapter 10. So we know we're here to build the temple. And we know that those who are protected are the ones that are coming to build the temple, Haggai says. So... The court was full of his brightness. And then five, the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even to the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaks. Read Revelation 1 and see how it sounds, like the thundering of many waters. And it came to pass, and when he had commanded the man clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubims. Then he went in and stood behind the, beside the wheels. And one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubims to the fire that was between the cherubims, and took thereof, and put it into the hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. Now, if it's coals of fire, obviously a cherub, and this angel here is a spirit being, didn't burn his hand. So he took it and went out. And there appeared in the cherubims the form of a man's hand under their wings probably holding those coals. And when I looked, behold, the four wheels by the cherubims, one wheel by one cherub and another wheel by another cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was as the color of a barrel stone, bright and shiny and beautiful. And as for their appearances, they four had one likeness, as if a wheel had been in the midst of a wheel. I don't get that picture quite, but it must have been spectacular and will be. And when they traveled, they went upon their four sides. They turned not as they went, but to the place where the head looked, they followed it. Instant obedience, instant compliance, instant service. Christ was there, and all he would do was turn his head, and they would go the direction his head turned. There's some power steering. They did his bidding, totally, completely, and instantly, which is where we need to be. They turned not as they went, and their whole body and their backs and their hands and their wings and the wheels were full of eyes round about, even the wheels that they forehad. As for the wheels, it was cried to them in my hearing, O wheel. And every one had four faces, the face of a cherub, the face of a man, of a lion, and an eagle. And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river of Kibar. So he's referring back to his uh, writing up in chapter 1. Now it doesn't say what they did here with the, uh, the coals that came out. But he was at the temple and apparently I would think that those coals were then placed there to be a brightness, to be a light, to be the appearance of of deity and of Christ in the temple. The light. 
And when the cherubims, verse 16, went, and the wheels went by them, and when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. When they stood, they all stood. And when they were lifted up, they were all lifted up. Uh, for the spirit of the living creature was in them. So they were at the back and call of Christ, who is the living creature. Then the glory of the eternal departed from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. So he went there, apparently unloaded some live coals from his conveyance, and then lifted up from it, and lifted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Eternal's house. The east gate was the gate of judgment, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. So he left his power his light, his heat, his glory in the temple. This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kibar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. And then he says again, everyone had four faces apiece, everyone four wings. The likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings. It's like he's going back over this in his mind. that Well, this is, a, this is the same thing I saw before. Now I'm seeing it again. Same as I saw in, at Kibar. Their appearances and themselves, they went everyone straight forward. So, it's just an inset chapter there that shows that Christ will be there, as he says in Zechariah 2, and dwell among us in the area of Zion and Jerusalem, and he will place his glory there. He didn't stay in the temple, did he? He came in, he put the fiery coals in the temple, and then they lifted up back up into the air. Now, chapter 11. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Eternal's house, which looks eastward. Now, God then picked in this vision, He picked Ezekiel up and took him to the east gate, the gate of judgment. Now, He's already told us in previous chapters what God's judgment is on this nation and on the Israelite nations, if you will, uh, but the worst on Ephraim, who was given the most, to whom much is given, much is required. Is the way the two witnesses get around to preach to all the nations and all the cities of the world this way? Now, one of them, one of them is depicted as being a type of Elijah. Elijah was picked up and moved. Here, Ezekiel is picked up and moved. Uh, during that 1260 days, there will not be an airport on earth that would allow their plane to land. And if it landed, they would not allow it to take off. Will they be transported? Maybe in a chariot of fire... Or maybe later, like he was, the Spirit lifted him up and just took him where he needed to be. You guys are going to Rome today. You're going to Tokyo tomorrow. You're going to Minneapolis the next day. And uh, it can be done instantly, and that way they can also be home at night. Uh, not have to just stay on the road for 1,260 days. I don't know. But that would seem to be uh, the symbolism of what happened with Elijah and what happened here with Ezekiel. Because... Ezekiel is this end time. And it is about judgment. 
the East Gate on not only the nation but the world. So he was set there, and behold, at the door of the gate, 25 men, among uh, whom I saw Jasemiah, uh, or Naya, I guess it is, having trouble seeing it, and uh, Peratia, I'm having trouble reading that with the light here, the son of Beniab, princes of the people. So these were leaders who were standing there. And he has come to pronounce some judgment and to tell them what will be. Then said he to me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city. Now you remember back in chapter 9 last week, there were about 25 men there uh, associated with the abominations that he showed. Greater abominations and greater abominations. Here you have 25. That was apparently priests there. This says princes, uh, leaders in any case, whether it be religious or or uh, uh, government leaders. So he said to me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city. So they are abominable. Which say, it is not near. Let us build houses. This city is the cauldron and we be the flesh. Now when I think of a cauldron and me being flesh in it, I think of burning and bubbling and boiling and it not being a very pleasant. That's not what this expression means. But there will be those who say, it isn't time to build the temple. Remember Haggai? It isn't time to build the temple. Physical temple? Are you kidding? It's time to build a spiritual temple only. That's what all the churches of God are trying to do. But God says it's a physical temple. That's the only kind that they'll say it's not time to build. They'll all say it's time to build a spiritual temple. In our body, as a group, as an organization, they all say that. But they're all against the church building the physical temple. That's the one they say it's not time to do. That's that the Jews will do that. They're not Jews in the first place. They're mostly Edomites. And so they'll say... Uh, let's build houses. Time's going to go on a bit. One of the bigger ones of the group, I think, thinks we have three or four hundred years left. Uh, that's what I heard that they've preached. It's not near. Let's build houses. We're safe. Now, what this expression, the city is the cauldron, we be the flesh, means is, if you build a fire and you throw meat on the fire, it will burn up and be worthless. Now, if you put the meat in a pan or a bowl or something to cook it in, then the bowl protects the meat from the fire and is still usable, still worth eating. Now, I've cooked meat over an open fire without a bowl. And if you don't get it pulled out of there pretty quick, it's a charred cinder. It's worthless. But you can cook a pot of stew for a long time. So they're saying we're safe here. We're in Jerusalem, everything's safe. We're in the church, we're in the church. There's another scripture that says the temple of God, the temple of God. We're in the temple, everything's okay. As long as we're in the church, everything will be fine. Now God's saying that's not the case. In fact, He says very clearly that only 10% were to be marked with the seal of God to be protected, and the rest will go into the tribulation. So just being in the church doesn't make you safe. Sorry. So they say, we're safe here in the pot. Everything's okay. Therefore prophesy against them. 
prophesy, O son of man. Says it twice. Emphasis. Let them know what's coming. And the Spirit of the Eternal fell upon me and said to me, Speak. Now he had been told he'd be locked in his house and not speak. Remember? So for a while he was kept quiet. Now God says, Speak. So there's a time to speak and a time not to speak. Read Ecclesiastes. Time to build and time to tear down. Time to live and time to die. So now was the time to speak. Thus says the Eternal, Thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. He says, You said we're the meat and the cauldron. We'll be safe here. You've multiplied your slain in this city. You fill the streets thereof with the slain. The ministry have led people astray. They have caused them to go into spiritual famine and pestilence, as Amos 8 says would happen. And they are rudderless and are not following God in the way that God wants to be followed. So we've had a lot of spiritual famine and pestilence and death. And we're about to have it in the nation. Uh, The 51st almost state just got destroyed. Our liberty, our freedom is at an end. There will not be a 51st. The end of the 430 is here. The end of the 64, almost 5 is here. Uh, this is it. I believe we're seeing it. We're seeing terrible hurricanes. We're seeing earthquakes increasing. And I'm sure they will hit here very shortly because the ring of fire is on fire. And we're part of it. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, your slain whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are the flesh, and this city is the cauldron, but I will bring you forth out of the midst of it. He's going he's to pour them out of the cauldron where the soup is safe into the fire, where they are not safe. You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the eternal God. Do we have a certain fear of North Korea and their little fellow? Do we have a fear of Russia and China and what they can do to us and an EMP attack and all kinds of things that are now possible? It's That fear is growing in this country. And I will bring you out of the midst thereof and deliver you into the hands of strangers. That means that the sword will come and then a captivity will occur. And will execute judgments among you. The judgments of God. East gate. Gate of judgment. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you in the border of Israel. And you shall know that I am the eternal. So you're not going to stay safely in the church or in the nation protected from the fire around you. He says, I'm going to pour you out and you will be judged by the border of Israel. Not in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. Not safely within the confines of the United States or the church, whether you're speaking physically or spiritually. And you will know that I am the Eternal. So they'll be taken from the borders and scattered around the world as captives, the ones that survive. This city shall not be your cauldron, neither shall you be the flesh in the midst thereof, but I will judge you in the border of Israel, pour you out into the fire and the sword. And you shall know that I am the Eternal. Again, he says. This is all about showing Israel and the world who God is. That's what it's all about. 
For you have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manners of the heathen that are round about you. We've had a Roman, Greek government established by atheists that we have followed, and God doesn't know us from the Gentiles. Ezekiel 16, we're coming up on pretty quick. Here, there, he calls us the great whore, and he says, you look like Hittites and Hivites or whatever he used to me. You don't look like Israelites. You look like Gentiles. That's what he's saying back here in chapter 11. You've done just like the world around you. And it came to pass when I prophesied, since I told this story of what God's going to do, but that Pelatiah, the one that's mentioned back here that I was having trouble reading in verse 1, the son of Benaiah, died. Then fell I upon my face and cried with a loud voice and said, O Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Now Ezekiel represented the righteous ones. He represented the ones God would seal and take care of that we just read about last week. And he saw this man die, who was one of the leaders in the area. And he says, are we all going to die? Jean died a few months ago. Marla died a few months ago. One of our opposition and our enemies' leaders died a few months ago. And we begin to look around and say, we are few. Jacob is small. We are old. We are crippled. Another year or two or three, and it's too late. You can't work with this group. The flesh will have failed before you. And he says he will intervene before that happens. Are we on the threshold of all this happening now, or are we not? I think it's here. And I think Puerto Rico being destroyed is a type of the destruction that is to come on the 50. Not that which would have been the 51st. Our liberty, our freedom is gone. It's ended. And that is a type of it. I pray about this a lot. You know, you're just going to let us all die out? Is this over? But this is the only place you can get this message. We're the only ones who understand the prophecies of the Bible. United doesn't. Living doesn't. Flurry doesn't. Pack doesn't. Nobody does. Just this very small group. That's astounding, isn't it? It's not because I'm smart. God handed this to me, just like He gave Ezekiel the message. He says, go preach this. He told me to. That's what I've been doing. That's what I'm doing right now. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. If you think so, go find it. It ain't there. You'll look in vain. He said he would send one to give the message. Now, I'm not trying to be egotistical about that. Herbert Armstrong said it over and over. I'm the only one that God has sent to give this message. I remember him thundering that over and over and over as I was growing up and in later years. Well, the same is true today. But if the message is from God, it isn't from me. I would still be muddling along like I was before God gave the message. 
It has nothing to do with me. God took one who is inept and unable and could not have seen these things. So it's to His glory that you're hearing what you're hearing today. Now let's go. He had another message from God. It's a separate thing from this judgment that he just pronounced on the nation and that has already happened to the church. So now he's speaking to Ezekiel. Came to me saying, Son of man, your brothers, even your brethren. So this is personal now. This is people, he's addressing people here that Ezekiel knew. His brethren. What do we call people in the church? Brethren. This is speaking to the brethren now. This is speaking to the church, specifically. The men of your kindred. Our kinship is in Christ to the Father. And all the house of Israel, holy, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the eternal. To us is this land given in possession. At the end time, God will send a message, and there will be people who are brethren who will say, we are the ones God is listening to. God speaks through us. Korah said that. Miriam and Aaron had that attitude. God speaks to us too. So get you far from here. This land is given for our possession. Now, these people who've rebelled against us here and against God, do you know what their last offer to me was? Did I tell you that publicly? In this court case, this action, which they brought against a brother, which Romans tells us they cannot do, they claim that they didn't go to trial, so it wasn't a court action. That's how they justify it, apparently. Well, they filed it with the court. And that action, that lawsuit, called for the destruction of this congregation, my removal, and them being made members of the church by the judge, if you will, and then putting them in charge of it to take over. Now, some of them may not have read that lawsuit, so they don't know what they themselves did, but it's in there. But their last offer to settle this was about two weeks ago. And their offer was this. We will take over the mortgage on the land. We will give Daryl $100,000 and 30 days to get off the land and go somewhere else. And they would take over the land. Said what? Get you far from the eternal. Unto us is this land given in possession. Now are these prophecies specific or what? He went from addressing the whole nation which is about to be destroyed and marking those whom he is going to protect and bring to, to build a temple. Then he comes down to Ezekiel and his brethren that he knew, people he was close to and said, they are going to try to run you away and take over the land. Are we seeing prophecy fulfilled? 
Are we not now in a timeline of events that is occurring before our very eyes that we are experiencing? This isn't a prophetic view of the future. This is today. I was given this offer, if you call it an offer, two weeks ago. Go away. The land is ours. Therefore say. Now when you get that offer, he says, therefore say. Thus says the eternal God. Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary, or the Hebrew says a short time sanctuary, in the countries where they shall come. <coughs> so he says, in spite of the fact that they say, go away, and in spite of the fact that they filed a, an action with the court to destroy you, this isn't just about me. This is you. They wanted the church destroyed. It's right there in black and white in their lawsuit. Disband it. Dissolve it. I think that's the word he used. Dissolve it. That means you, not just me. This is now. He says, no. He says, you've lost those brethren in Isaiah 54. Now I'm going to give you more. So he says, they're going to tell you to go away and give it to us. But he says, no, I am going to be a little sanctuary and I am going to gather my 10%, which we just read about in Zechariah 2, and it's in Isaiah 6, 10%. I will draw mine wherever they have been scattered. The church is going to be gathered back here, according to Haggai and Zechariah. 10% of it. No more. The rest will go into tribulation. So they can make this threat, and they can tell me to go away, and you to go away, but it ain't gonna happen. Jeremiah 11 says they're going into famine and the sword. He says he'll purge the rebels further on in Ezekiel. He says some are to be cast out in Zechariah 2. He says, no, my judgment is, you're not going to get the land... And I am going to bring people to build my temple. That's the message. I will gather you from the people. My ten percent. Assemble you out of the countries wherein you've been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. That's here. The original promised land. And they shall come here and they shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from there. We will get rid of the idols. We will get rid of the... Oh, my mic fell off. I'll repeat that. My mic fell off. We'll get rid of the idols. We'll get rid of everything pagan in the original promised land. And God will protect and Christ will be here in His portable throne of glory to make sure that these things happen. Verse 19, And I will give them one heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I will take the thorny heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. Real compassion and feeling. In the book of Haggai, he also says, In this place will I bring peace. That's what he's talking about right here in verse 19. 
and will give them an heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, not hearers only, but doers of the word. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will come and dwell with you in Zion, he says, and be a wall of fire around you from the world that is still there. Satan isn't bound yet. The millennium hasn't started yet. The enemies will still be without, but his people will be protected from within. We've seen many scriptures to corroborate that. (coughs) But as for them whose heart walks after the heart of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their own heads, says the eternal God. They're trying to establish a democracy out here of voting. That isn't God's way. That's a detestable, abominable thing. That goes right back to Satanism. Satan was the first Democrat. Get it? We the people shall rise up because we can rule better than that autocrat God up there. We the people. This nation was founded on an abominable doctrine of demons and of Satan. We the people have risen up against any of God's leaders, he has taken care of the problem throughout all history. Just he's going to take care of the one who rose up against him, Satan the devil. We the people are never going to rule. Can you imagine the kingdom of God with we the people ruling? Look at the world today and people ruling. Wonderful place, ain't it? No, God is going to rule from the top down. We've got people right now trying to set up democracy on this place. They're not going to set it up in this congregation. Now, they may get it set up in their little TIC arrangement, but you know what's going to happen to it? We just read it. God's judgment is going to come upon it. This is here and now. This isn't future prophecy. This is us. Verse 22, Then did the cherubims lift up their wings, and the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. And the glory of the Eternal went up from the midst of the city, and stood upon the mountain which is on the east side of the city, Mount of Olives. You want to know where the Mount of Olives is? Go a little ride with me during the feast, and I'll show you the Mount of Olives. East of where the city of Jerusalem is originally was before it became desolate for many generations as the scripture said it would. Afterwards, the Spirit took me up and brought me in a a vision by the Spirit of God to Chaldea, to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had uh, seen went up from me. Then I spoke to them of the captivity, all the things that the Eternal had showed. So he was speaking at Jerusalem to those who had been left behind up to this point. And now he is going to go and speak to those who are in captivity. Now what are the two witnesses going to do? They're going to be brought to Jerusalem, deal with the church first, get that set up. Then they are going to go out, and if there are any of the 90% of the church that were taken into captivity, they'll go and speak to those in captivity. And they will also speak to those who have them held in captivity and warn them who God is. And God is going to show that He is God. 
These prophecies of Ezekiel are for the church and the world today. And I mean in the moment. Now, we're living it. We're not anticipating it. We're not looking forward to it. It's here. And I think that the hurricanes and all that started right after that eclipse went across, as Amos 8 says, are part of it. And it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to build. I think I could safely say we're going to have some pretty serious earthquakes fairly soon in this country, just like is happening in the ring of fire around the rest of the world. Because God's judgment is now, and it's not again an echo from the hills. All the timing prophecies seem to indicate that now is the time. And the events are beginning to occur. And our freedom and our liberty has come to an end, as depicted by the utter destruction of Puerto Rico. And it will not get beyond 50. I think we had 50 states on purpose to depict liberty and freedom. And the 51st never came, and now it's gone. And that tells us our liberty and our freedom are at an end.